1 Samuel chapter 12, chapter 11 had ended that after Saul had given victory to Israel, defeating Nahash, rescuing the city of Jabesh, that they come and some people want to put those who had opposed Saul to death. And Saul says, no, no one's going to die. This is the day the Lord has delivered and given rescue and victory. And Samuel calls that now they should come to Gilgal to publicly commemorate Saul as king. If you remember, he had been privately anointed, then he was publicly chosen, but now we are going to publicly celebrate this. That's how the chapter before ends. Chapter 12 starts, and really Samuel is going to speak. We don't know for sure if this took place right at Gilgal at the same event. It could have. It may very well have. And it seems like it's appropriate because as Saul now is the king, that changes Samuel's role for Israel. We think about Samuel and how had he been serving Israel? Well, he was a prophet. We saw that as far as being called a man of God. He served as priest. There, he's the one offering sacrifices. He also serving as judge. He was the leader. He was the leader, the human representative that God had given to the nation of Israel at this time. Not a king, but, a leader. but now they have a king. Now they have a different representative to lead the nation, to lead them physically. And so Samuel's role changed, and that's going to give way to then now his, really his farewell address to Israel. We read the first few verses. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. So Samuel's going to say this kind of farewell, recognizing, all right, there's now a, new, a king, your new leader, and he points out that here I have been. I have been since my youth. I've been serving you as your leader. I'm old now. He has his sons by him. He has his sons by him. Do you remember his sons? <laughs> I hear it, they're not good. <laughs> and that exactly, remember that the nation of Israel had come saying, your sons don't walk in your ways. That's why we need a king. He has his sons there by, standing by him. Um, perhaps this is Samuel saying, you know, as I say farewell, all right, they're by me, but I'm no longer the leader. It's no, it's, now, someone else's role and responsibility if they're going to address these issues. If you want to take care of these, you can. Perhaps that's what's being signaled. But he's saying here, really maybe we'd say a strange way to start saying goodbye. Um, 
when you're completing an end of something is the first thing to say, have I harmed any of you? Have I done any of you wrong? But that really is what Samuel's doing here. He's saying, he says, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and the presence of his anointed one, the king. So I'm standing here before God himself and before God's chosen representative, your new leader. Have I done you wrong? Why would Samuel ask these questions? Okay, you got the ending words here. says, it shows his heart there. If I have, I want to make it right. Why would Samuel begin this way? Really put, posing questions of his integrity to the people. Okay, emphasizing the need for the integrity, teaching a lesson is really... He's doing this in the presence of the anointed one. This is perhaps a learning lesson for Saul, too. Saul, this is how you need to lead. This is how you need to lead. Maybe it makes us feel a little uncomfortable that Samuel's using himself as the example. Something maybe we don't like to normally do is, okay, look, I did this good thing or thing like that. But to really point to Saul and saying this, you should be able to ask these questions and the answer should be from the people saying, no, you haven't done these things. What are these questions kind of suggesting? Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Whose hand have I accepted a bribe? Have I taken advantage of you in any way? Have I used my position to prosper myself? And the answer is no. Samuel is pointing out here that it has been not self-serving, his leading, but it's been for the people. Been for the people. That really, his whole time, from the time of his youth to the time he's old, now it's been to try to minister and serve to them that also then kind of helps lead in to what he's going to tell them again. He's also he's reminding them here, you know that what I've done, it's been for your benefit. And so now, when I'm going to say another set of last words, remember that too. I'm not trying to serve myself with any of this. There's no personal gain going to come about this. It's still for you. Still for you. Verse 4, you have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also has anointed his witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. And so before the Lord now, they are confirming, Samuel, you haven't done us wrong. You've served us faithfully. We can attest to that. And perhaps it's the notable looking ahead to what's going to happen, particularly between the relationship of Samuel and Saul. Here Saul, the anointed one, is saying this too. Samuel, you haven't done any, me any harm. 
You haven't taken anything from me. The Lord is witness to this. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. Is it the same old history lesson that seems to show up so many times that all of a sudden, here we are again, let's go back to Egypt to remember what happened there. Why bring this up again? Why bring it up again? And maybe here as we see a similarity in some of these farewell speeches, um, think about the great leaders that Israel has had up to this point. Can you think of a great leader Israel has had up to this point? Before Samuel. Moses, yeah, one, one of the ones that we have right mentioned here, Moses. He's, you know, really, for the nation of Israel, he is the first major leader for them. The one who does lead them out of Egypt. And Joshua, good. So, I mean, really, when you talk about the top leaders, it's Moses, it's Joshua, and then it's Samuel up to this point. Then it's Samuel, as far as the nation of a whole. And if you go and look at Moses' farewell speech, as he speaks to Israel, what is he going to point them to? He points them as he's delivered them out of Egypt. And you go look at Joshua's farewell speech. And what does he do? He points them as they delivered them out of Egypt. Now, maybe that makes more sense because Moses and Joshua lived through that, actually. They actually lived through the Exodus. Samuel, we're 400 plus years later. 400 plus years. But now, perhaps think in context, though, why would Samuel do this? Why would he go back here? Is it just repetition? Is it just, well, they need to keep hearing it again and again and again because they don't understand it the first time? Have to have history repeated because they don't remember what's happened. Yeah, it's, you know, that phrase that if you, aren't, if you don't know what happened in the past, you're bound to repeat the same mistakes of it. History doesn't repeat itself, but there certainly are similarities of things that happen. Why would Samuel go back and tell them this? Didn't they know this? Maybe that's a reminder too. Things we know, sometimes we need to be reminded. Yes, things we could even, you know, spout off and say all these facts of things that happened or, you know, scripture verses, things we know. Sometimes we need to be reminded of them to think, okay, what does this mean for my life right now? Yeah, and that gets right into as far as 
verse 7, that the Lord is the one who's done all this for, I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. Maybe a strange way we think about saying it. After he first brings him saying, testify against me, bring the evidence against my conduct. Now he says, I'm going to bring the evidence to you. Not first of what you've done, but first of what the Lord has done, the righteous things. The righteous things. Maybe that's sometimes our idea of evidence is skewed in that we always maybe tend towards the negative of things against, proof against, with kind of evidence in a positive way. Look at these things that God has done. This is proof. Proof of the righteous things he's done. Maybe also to help think about this as far as context. We read these, and if we read Deuteronomy and see Moses' farewell speech, we read Joshua and read his farewell speech, and read here, yeah, we can read them all together, can't we? We can read them all together. And oh, yes, they had it recorded. They had it recorded as far as Moses' and Joshua's. But you see the time going on. Samuel is not speaking to the same people that Moses spoke to. Samuel is not speaking to the same people that Joshua spoke to. Joshua wasn't even speaking to the same people that Moses had spoken to. Joshua spoke to them now after they were traveling into Canaan. After they had gone and crossed and now they were past the time Joshua was going to serve. You see, generations pass. And each generation needs to hear the righteous acts the Lord has performed. Each generation needs to cling on to them. And that's why we rightly so emphasize, okay, teach these to our children and to their children. It's why we keep repeating them to them because they need to hear it too. And so Samuel goes back to show that really the Lord has been delivering for a long time here. And he's going to continue to lay it out as we go on. Starts with Moses and Aaron bringing them out of Egypt as the first kind of key, the capstone deliverance. And then goes on in verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerob Baal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. Samuel starts out at, with Exodus and deals with Exodus and Deuteronomy with Moses. And then he really all of a sudden gives a summary of the book of Judges, doesn't he? <laughs> and said that, oh, well, your forefathers, they forgot the Lord. They turned away. And so into the hand of Sisera, an enemy nation, Canaanite king, and the Philistines, Philistines who were still around, 
still causing trouble for the Israelites now, to Moab. And really, you just see these verses. It's just a super brief statement of what the book of Judges was. Israel turns away. God uses an enemy nation. Israel cries out. We have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord. Serve the Baals and the Asherah. Deliver us. And what does the Lord do? The Lord, his name, the covenant God, who is faithful with his love, he sends judges. He sends judges. Jerubbaal. Do we remember who that is? Jerubbaal. Gideon. Yes, that was the alternate name for Gideon that we saw. Um, Jerubbaal meant against Baal. Remember, because what did Gideon do? The first thing that God asked him to do is um, take care of business at home first before you lead the nation. You need to tear down your father's altars to idols against Baal. Barak. Do you remember Barak? Do you remember Barak? He's not as well known of a one. Do you remember his female counterpart? Deborah. Deborah. Uh, it's Barak with Deborah that actually are directly with Sisera that are fight against Sisera. Jephthah? Do you remember Jephthah? What do you remember about Jephthah? Yeah, he dedicated his daughter to the Lord. We had that difficult situation and maybe not conclusive exactly what happened to his daughter um, from an unwise vow that he made coming back home that the first thing he saw he would give to the Lord. And what exactly did that mean? Well, we're not exactly sure. And then Samuel, um, some manuscripts... And translations have Samson here instead. Um, you could see how that would make sense. It might seem a little odd that Samuel would talk about himself. Yes, but that being said, it was true. I mean, ultimately, he is one of the judges that God did give to him. These are people, you know, maybe it's sometimes difficult for us to remember exactly who they were or these details. It's been a while since we've read the book of Judges. But knowing that, as far as timing goes, these are really kind of the heroes that these people would have had. You think about, like, the superheroes that kids watch movies about or comics or play. These are their superheroes. They knew, and what is Samuel doing? He's saying, these are who the Lord gave you. This is who the Lord gave you. He delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. Questions or comments here? Please. First verse. Samuel said to all Israel. That sounds like a lot of people. <laughs> Samuel said to all Israel. You know, that's a good question. When he says all Israel, what does that mean? Um, does it mean that it is an assembly of millions? It could. 
It could mean it's an assembly of millions. It could also mean that it is an assembly of representation from every tribe. Still, it's going to be a lot of people. It's not a small gathering. This is not like there's 12 leaders, from each, one from each tribe here. No, there'd be significant representation. Maybe not, though, that this is a massive gathering of millions, although it could have been. I mean, this is a kind of a big deal, especially if you think that and see that maybe this was happening with commemoration of the king. You'd expect there'd be a lot of people there to celebrate that. Good question. Any other, please? That is a good question. How did they hear? Because, as notably, I'm on a microphone, and we don't have millions of people here. <laughs> we are in a, you know, we're in the church sanctuary, and that's a big enough space, big enough to say that if I wasn't on the microphone, I'd really be straining my voice, and it might be difficult for you to hear. And we think about how many people we could fit in here. If we're going to really pack them in, we're in a couple hundred people. Well, it's likely there's much more than that at this. Um, I don't know if I have necessarily a real specific answer as far as how they hear. Um, trying to think back some other examples. I mean, Moses would be up on the mountain at times. He'd go up. And, but as far as him speaking, there's not really much detail given there as far as that. Um, we see more in the New Testament when you talk about as far as crowds and speaking. And that's where you get... Well, you get Jesus going out on the lake, using that, that okay, the natural kind of setting to help amplify. Um, we get with the Apostle Paul, and now this gets into really just as far as the civilizations that the Romans and the Greeks, but they had, you know, constructed in some way amphitheaters. And gather, but I don't know if we really have that kind of stuff going on here so much. Um, it's probably an interesting archaeology question and to see, well, where, how did they gather and what, how did they speak to groups? And without having some of that research, I guess I, my general thought would be this. They are intelligent, quite intelligent people. Maybe sometimes we think, or without necessarily consciously thinking, it's we say, oh, well, their lives were very different. They didn't have some of the modern conveniences that we have, that we haven't made those adv advancements in technology or whatever it may be, they are very intelligent people. And you don't have to look very hard with ancient civilization to see some of that. And so maybe it is something to explore more. Okay, what were those things? But I guess I would say, drawing from the fact that they knew what they were doing, I'm sure they had proposed some sort of way that they could whether it was that, you know, this is they find the low spot and the people gather, and so that's, okay, whoever's speaking is on higher ground over the top, or whether anything else. But yeah, it's an interesting thought. How did they all hear? Because they did hear. They did hear. Another question in the back. This farewell would have been a kind of a one-time thing, so it would have taken place on one day that he would have spoken this to him. Good question. Other questions? Please. 
Yeah, thinking perhaps in Deuteronomy when God through Moses giving that instructions, teach these things to your children, and even saying, you know, as you walk along the road, as you sit, as you stand, pretty much saying, anytime, use every opportunity to teach things when what God proclaims to your children. And that's where maybe you say, okay, this gathering, do, do all the Israelites have to be here to hear for all Israelites to receive this message? No. And that, yes, it would be passed on. It would be spoken, taken back to their homes that anyone who was not here would still be told, still be receiving this word. Any other questions? Samuel has laid out the evidence of the righteous acts of how God has given deliverers to Israel. And now verse 12. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you have asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. All of a sudden, the speech became very pointed. Very pointed of first, giving all this evidence of how God has been righteous, and all of a sudden, and here's the evidence of how you were not. Because you saw Nahash, even though God had given you all these deliverers before, you saw Nahash moving against and said, we want a king. We want a king. Is Samuel beating a dead horse? How many times has he told the people now that it was wrong for you to ask for a king? It doesn't it seem like of all the times this would be the least likely they would actually do anything different about it? Because after all, what had just happened before this? King Saul had delivered them from Nahash and the Ammonites. The very thing they had asked for. A king to deliver them. Samuel just pointed out how the Lord had been delivering them. Is Samuel beating a dead horse to now bring this up again? Is this really the last thing you want to say to them, Samuel? You're really going to go here one last time? Why would Samuel... Yeah, it happened more than once. And maybe to take note, too, up to this time, what had been Israel's response? Give us a king. Give us a king. Okay, that's nice, Samuel. All right, who's our king? They hadn't listened. They didn't care. They weren't repenting of it. And that's really, well, why would they repent now? They have what they wanted. 
And it seems to be working out pretty well. Why bother, Samuel? Why bother? You think they're really going to do anything different now after all this? Samuel points out here that the king will still be a blessing. It's a conditional, though. What must take place? Well, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him, do not rebel. If both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. It was wrong for you to ask for the king. I'm going to remind you that one more time, Samuel says. Wrong for you to ask for this king. But having the king now will be good if both of you follow the Lord. Both of you follow the Lord. If not, though, well, learn a lesson from the past. It's not going to repeat itself, but you can expect a similar experience that God will punish. His hand will be against you. Questions or comments here? This this is a marking of a new this is a marking of a new era as you're saying yeah and so you see really in a similar way um, what Moses and Joshua had said to God's people before that if you walk in God's ways he will bless you he will bless you but if you turn away you can be sure of this there will be consequences there will be consequences. He will take his blessings from you. And it's interesting enough just to see that message doesn't change, does it, between Moses and Joshua and now to Samuel. Has the message changed today? Has the message changed today? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Maybe first, how has it changed today? In that, as God established a new covenant, it was a covenant of just free forgiveness. Not that he wasn't giving them forgiveness here. He was. He is the Lord, the God of free and faithful love. But some of the specific things he's doing is conditional as far as, you know, having prosperous life in this land, this promised land he had given them, as far as specifically bringing enemies and hand, hand upon them. God hasn't given that and said, oh, if you don't follow this one command, I'm going to send this specific kind of consequence. He doesn't say that to us. At the same time, maybe there are some similarities. We recognize this, that when we follow and walk in God's ways, what does he do? He blesses us. He blesses us. When we turn from God's ways, does God withhold blessing from us? Not necessarily, no. Does God specifically send a punishment? No, he punishes on Jesus. But we recognize when we turn from God's ways, sometimes we create consequences. 
by turning away. And so sometimes we, are, we still forfeit blessings from our own doing. That's really what the Israelites are doing. From their own doing, they could be forfeiting blessings. Verse 16, Now then stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Oh, Samuel, I guess, wasn't done talking about the king yet either. Maybe we thought he moved on as he was then giving that encouragement to walk in the Lord with the king. But here he comes back to it again. Got to take one last blow and say, what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord. He's going to give proof of it now too, though. He's going to give proof. He says, I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. Is it not the wheat harvest now? In the land of Israel, there were really two kinds of seasons. There was the hot and dry season and the cool and wet season. Guess which one the wheat harvest comes in? The dry season. The hot and dry season. And so as Samuel asks, and it says, I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. He is showing here, this is not what normally takes place. First off, to recognize who controls the weather, it's God. And now I'm going to call upon the God to, God to, to make weather happen outside of the normal pattern that God has established to do it. Um, maybe perhaps you see a tie-in to here too as well as saying in the past, okay, that your ancestors, they followed the Baals and the Astros. We talked about Baals, weather connected to God as far as, okay, bringing life, watering the crops that connects with the fertility idea. Okay, they looked to Baal as far as the thunder and rain. Well, who's sending it now? No, he is the God, the Lord. And this is going to give evidence give evidence that when you ask for a king, even though God gave you one, even though he's going to bless you in one, if you walk in his ways, both you and the king, it was still evil. It was still evil. And we come to that question again, why is Samuel doing this? Is this really that big of a deal that the last thing you want them to be focused on is this. Don't you think there'd be much more important things now that having this king you need to remember and keep in mind? Don't you think there'd be much more joyous things to look back on your service to them, Samuel, to highlight? Why do you keep bringing this up? Verse 18, then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. What do the people do? 
they finally repented of this sin. They finally repented. After being confronted so many times by Samuel, why does Samuel keep going here? Because it's what the people needed for their spiritual health. They were still holding on to sin in their heart. And with that sin going forward with their new king, there's no way they were going to walk in the way of the Lord. Because that attitude would have gone and saying, we have our king and we were right. We were right. We knew better than God. But instead it's now, we were wrong. We were wrong. Please pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our sins and the evil of asking for a king. Now, with their king, they are going to move forward with humility of God has blessed us with this king because that's what God wanted for us now. God is, yeah, we asked for it wrongly. God is the one who is in charge. He's the one, that's why we say, pray that we will not die. He still rules. He doesn't just rule over the weather. Oh, we see that now too. He rules over our nation. He rules in our hearts. Let's look a little bit more at that weather and that miracle of it. We see the nation of Israel repents after they see the thunder and the rain. Does it take a miracle to produce the repentance? Does it take a miracle to to produce the repentance? Maybe sometimes it feels like that in life, that if you're interacting with someone, if someone is in sin, or maybe you look back at the sins you've committed and it seems it it would take a miracle. Did the miracle create the repentance? Not really. The miracle confirmed the message, didn't it? Because Samuel had called to them again and again, you've done an evil thing by asking for the Lord, for a king from the Lord because you've rejected the Lord as your king. He said that to them again and again. He said it to them here, and he simply says, so that you know that he is the Lord, here is proof. Not proof that what you've done is evil, but proof that you know he is the Lord. And the people stood in awe. They were awakened. He is the Lord. And that means what was said about what we have done is also true. That the miracle confirms that Samuel says, I'm going to call on the Lord. He does this. Well, look. What I'm saying about your evil acts, that's true too. Just in a similar way as Samuel had began in saying, 
testify against me if I've done any of you wrong. That integrity there, saying that he hasn't put his life as an obstacle to the message. Now here we have, on the other end, God using a special display to really support. But it all comes back to what was being proclaimed. What's being proclaimed. And that's what produces. It's what leads to the response that they'd ask for prayer, for forgiveness. Questions or comments here? Maybe the encouragement then comes is this. That if you know someone who is stuck in sin, or maybe not even stuck, just when someone does sin, don't count it out that they, oh, they aren't going to repent now. Don't count it out, oh, I've tried to talk to them three times already, and it doesn't work. Samuel comes to them really in a moment of, well, all right, Samuel's leaving now, so... Well, that's nice. Why, there really wasn't anything holding on to them that's saying, well, right, we got to listen to Samuel now. There's the evidence of we have a king who is giving us victory. But don't underestimate the power of the word. Don't underestimate it. Because that's what's producing. God hasn't given us promise that he's going to change the weather for us to support it. Although if he can make it a little warmer... And a little less snow, I'd be okay with it. Um, <laughs> but we're not going to ask God for that because, I mean, we can certainly can pray to God to have a warmer weather. But we're not going to ask him to do a miraculous sign to prove himself. He doesn't need to. He gives his word to us. He proclaims that. We're not going to try to test God. But to simply say, you know what? We see how the word produces. And so we keep proclaiming it. Even when it seems like it's fleeting breath that as in a farewell, all right, what's going to happen with this? You had to wonder when Samuel said it again too. All right, here's one last shot. One last shot. I don't think they'll probably listen, but we'll do it. And maybe, they, maybe you've been there before. One last shot. I know I have. One last shot. Maybe they'll listen. Probably going in thinking they probably won't. Don't underestimate the power of the word. Because it's the Lord. The Lord who delivers. Questions or comments? You know, as you're talking about as far as praying for other people, you just saw, we saw in those last verses, Israel asked Samuel to pray for them. And we're going to get to see a little bit more kind of leading into these next verses as far as that prayer for other people. Reading verse 20, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. 
These are the words at which now Samuel's speech comes to a close. What general tone are you going to get from Samuel's words? He certainly gives him a lot of things. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Sounds like maybe a lot of law. Message of, all right, now as I'm leaving, these are a set of things you need to do, set of things don't do. Maybe the question here, does Samuel give them any gospel? Any good news? Any good news? He has certainly really come down hard before saying, all right, you sinned by asking for a king. Oh, and I just told you before again, I'll say it again. You sinned by asking for this king. And now saying, do this, if you follow in his ways, okay, that's law, saying if you do this, here he says again, do not turn away, do not turn away. The very last verse, talk about ending on a high note, right? Leave them feeling good about themselves. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. I'm really going to make them want to come back, right? (laughs) There's a a lot of law in there, isn't there? Is there gospel? Yeah, okay, so you see that as he says the law, you mentioned a lot of love and concern. When Samuel preaches the law, it's driven by love for them. The preaching of the law is always driven by love. Because if there's not love behind it, well, why bother? Why does it matter? That's, you know, that's really, you think about the worst thing. As far as God preaching, giving us the law and that, it would be the greatest judgment of God to simply say, I don't care anymore. It's not worth me bothering. Go ahead. See you here. Go ahead. You're saying you have a hard time seeing. But is not the words you just picked out, are those not gospel? Are not the words you just pointed to gospel? Verse 22. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. Because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. The Lord was pleased to make you his own, despite all these things we just said about you. Yeah, and he also, but then, pleased to make your own, but then also said, he will not reject his people. What, uh, you say it sounds like half the gospel. Explain. Sure, Okay. No, okay, no, what you bring up I think is an important topic Um, as far as this connection here, mentioning that, okay, we see, okay, the gospel, good news of Jesus, of Christ, but especially when we're dealing with Old Testament things, it doesn't seem like, well, where is Christ in this? We see, as you mentioned, you see the love of the Lord, and that's where, okay, how is this connected to Christ? Okay, and so maybe a little hang up here is that because he isn't specifically giving that promise, reminding them again of, well, I said I would 
bring enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. Or he isn't specifically bringing up that promise that God gave to Abraham that through your offspring all people will be blessed through you. Isn't specifically bringing that up, but at the same time, what did he do? This is the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. Delivered you then from the hands of these enemies. The Lord who keeps his covenant, his promise, who will not reject his people. And so what does that include then? It includes the promise. You're right, not explicitly. Mm-hmm. And you, no, and I think you're right that sometimes when we find the gospel, really when we think of it, what is the gospel? It's what God gives to us. Good news. Gospel gifts. And so at the heart and soul of that is always Jesus. But we recognize connected to Jesus, there's so many other things he gives through it. And so we recognize here, okay, he's saying that he continues to be faithful to his people throughout all these generations. That's good news. That's good news. And that's, I think, we make the same connection too. Okay, we look at our lives. We look at our lives. God says, for the sake of his great name, as the Lord, the God who keeps his covenant, who keeps his promise, he says he will not reject his people throughout all our lives because he keeps his promises. He's kept them in Jesus, and he's going to keep it for the rest of them connected to Jesus too. Please. Yeah, but is that, is that conditional gospel then? You said, that, you said that gospel good news and that they did everything right, then they'd be blessed. How, what kind of, I maybe guess that question, is that really good news? No, because we can't do everything right. And that's where you do see a difference, always make, between some of the specific promises and covenants God made in his Old Testament. Sometimes, especially as he's dealing you know, with his people coming out of Exodus with Moses. That's a unique covenant of you do this and I will do this. But the covenant that God gives to all his people of forgiveness is not a if you do this, then I will do this. When he gave the promise to Abraham, it was not, Abraham, if you really follow my ways, then I will give you offspring. It was not, Abraham, if you don't doubt me, and don't let your wife laugh. Then I will give you a son. No, it was no strings attached. A one-way covenant. And so that's something, we do see that certainly here, that there are some two-way promises God is giving these people. But the covenant as a whole, the Lord who keeps his covenant, it's not. It's not. It's one way. Um, okay, that's a good question. Is law, Old Testament, gospel, New Testament? I heard it. Not really. Not really. Think of law as a command, a demand. Gospel is good news given. That's throughout all of Scripture. It's not divided. 
we could, you know, maybe be a valuable exercise. We won't necessarily do it today. We could work through all of Samuel's speech and start underlining in one color pen, this is really a law part. We could then underline a different color. Say, really, this is a gospel aspect. And maybe the point you recognize here is this, that Samuel, as he proclaims the law, he's also proclaiming the gospel, and it even comes with how he begins. And maybe here we see some gospel. How did Samuel begin when he started talking about the Lord? Did he start saying, this is the command the Lord gave you? No. He said, I'm going to give you evidence of how the Lord has done righteous acts. And those righteous acts were how he delivered you. That's gospel. That's gospel. And to be uplifted, that's how Samuel speaks to God's people. He addresses them as, look, this is what God has done for you. There's good news. I don't even approach you simply as that you only need to hear law. No, because you live in gospel. You're one of God's people. And so you look at all those, as he mentions Moses and Aaron and the exes, as he mentions all those judges, that's all gospel. That's all things. Look what God has done, those great things. Oh, yes, then he turns to law and points out how, well, when Nahash came and you, you said you wanted a king. Well, there's also then gospel then coming saying that, okay, God is going to bless you with this king. Walking in his ways, there's good news. Now, we recognize there's also law right there, too, saying that condition. But there's still a promise of blessing. But then it just really comes here, the gospel at the end, recognizing that it says, for the sake of his, his great name, unconditional, not based on anything you do, but simply who God is, his name the Lord, the one who keeps his promises. He will not reject because it pleased the Lord to make you his own. As he gives those commands, really there in 24, be sure to, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. What has Samuel already done? He's already said, the Lord is faithful to you. That's why you seek to serve him and be faithful. Because look how he's delivered you. Look how he will not reject you. Look how he has made you his own. Even when you haven't been faithful to him. He's been faithful to you. That's gospel. That's good news. Because now it doesn't rely upon whether you completely follow him perfectly. That's a good question. And uh, Okay, whether it's in our worship or things, is it going to order law and gospel? Not necessarily. The law, you, you can't have one without the other. You're exactly right. You can't have one without the other because the law needs to do its work so that the gospel is meaningful. Not that the gospel isn't powerful without the law, but it is, but so that the law... The law needs to pierce and crush so that the gospel can uplift. And so, recognize within a worship, you see they're being woven together in so many different ways throughout. It's not necessarily just 
all right, this is it. And that's made me take a note here. Even as Samuel ends it out, okay, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Law or gospel? Law, yeah. It's, that's not good news. That's not good news. Even as he ends maybe on this note, it's not as if he wasn't proclaiming them the good news. It's not as if now, all right, they're left on this bad note. No, they did hear. And they had, were strengthened by this. There's that place for that warning. Because if you turn your back on the good news, well, only destruction will follow. Yeah, you mentioned as far as Joshua and then, you know, the prophet Jeremiah. You see, okay, you compare, really look at Moses too. The message really isn't that much different. Oh, it highlights different aspects. There's unique, there's certainly uniqueness to it. It's not just repeated. Uniqueness of context and situation. But a general summary, the Lord's been faithful to you. Now serve the Lord. And isn't that a fitting way to say farewell? Isn't that a fitting way to say farewell? Because reminding this is who your God is. Look at all the great things he has done for you. And so now be moved by it. Be encouraged by it. That this is really what Samuel wants for them. To serve this Lord. To be connected to this Lord. What what? Greater prayer, you'd almost ask, would Sam, could Samuel have for these people as he's praying? Saying he's going to, he is going to pray for them. Take note of that. He even says it would be a sin if he failed to pray for them. You know, we see that prayer is something now, not that, okay, we must do this specifically amount of times, but this is something that God gives us and we should be eager to pray for people. He says he will teach them the way is good and right, but Samuel's prayer essentially is now that you do serve the Lord with all your heart. And isn't that the prayer for each and every one of us, the prayer we have for each other? The Lord is faithful. Now may we serve the Lord faithfully. One last question I want to pose to you. Samuel says farewell. Is this the final goodbye? I, okay, I hear no. Why not? Good, good. Samuel says farewell. He said, also says, I'm still going to teach you. I'm still going to teach you. It's not the, all right. It's okay. And that's maybe the key thing here. He is saying farewell as he is now leaving this position as judge. Why? There's no need for her anymore because they have a king. If he were to remain as judge, I mean, that's in conflict now to this new representative that God has given. But what will Samuel remain to be? A prophet and a priest. He is still going to serve the people, serve the Lord in this way. It's not a final goodbye from Samuel. This does mark in 1 Samuel really where Samuel is no longer the central focus. And so we do say kind of goodbye for now to Samuel. He will pop up again here and there. But all of a sudden now the shift turns to Saul. And so that's where we're going to see God showing now, okay, his new representative, his king, 
we will see God's message and how God is working through his king and what promises and really how God remains faithful even as the warning was not heeded. Let's close with prayer. Almighty God, may we take the warnings from your word seriously that they are out of your love because you do not seek destruction to come upon us. May we strive to serve you, to put away aside any kind of thing that we set up in your place, to repent of the sins that we look back in our past that we now realize. Gracious Lord, uplift us with your good news. The good news how even when we sin, even as we will continue to sin, you remain faithful for the sake of your name. The name which has made promises to us, promises of love, made this certain truth, this certain peace you give us be what motivates us to serve you. Not fear of punishment, but the opportunity to give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen.